to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of a cracking tale. Now melt yourself some butter and squeeze me like a lemon as I turn you over to Bentley and Jameson Brimble Banks. So hand her over, post haste, you cad, you villain. You're either misinformed, sir, or simply deranged, for you'll find no queen hereabouts. I find this difficult to believe. Swear to me on the blood of your ancestors. I'm offended, you knave, that my word is not valuable enough for you. But if it must be, it is so sworn. Also, they're your ancestors too, you boob. No queen? No, go fish. Need I remind you both again that the game will proceed much quicker without these dramatics at every exchange. Drat. I didn't get one. My turn. Voxbot, do you have any threes? Shoot. Fine. Take them. Ugh. Are you still at that game while I'm left out and not doing anything? I'm bored. We did ask if you wanted to play too. Well, I... Well, I don't want to play too. We know, we know. You want to go outside of Grimblebank's manor and find some sort of adventure. But must I remind you yet again of the current downpour of mysterious rain outside that turns anyone it contacts into a sentient cactus monster? Maybe I don't care anymore. Maybe I like being a sentient cactus monster. Well, don't think I'm going to water you. Sentient cactus monsters don't need very much water. Bentley. Fine, fine, I'll stay inside. But I'm telling you, I don't know how much longer I can take being cooped up inside this musty old house and not go outside and see people. But Bentley, you always stay cooped up in this musty old house in normal times. And you don't like people. That's not the point. Sure, I prefer staying indoors away from sunlight and the unwashed masses, but I don't like being told I have to. He's right, you know. I don't know how much longer I can take being cooped up like this. How many puzzles can a girl do? How many hours can she spend pushing pins into homemade voodoo dolls of prominent politicians? But at least we're safe here. It certainly feels that way, at least. One never knows for sure. See, that reminds me of a story. I was just thinking the same. What story? We'll tell you. Most lobsters are never anything more than worms. Floating on the surface of the water and eaten up by all manner of things. It's only a very few lucky lobster worms that settle on the ocean bottom and grow to be... Horrible alien claw monsters. Indeed. One such lobster was the hero of our story. Lucky beyond reckoning that he had ever grown a shell at all. Especially given the fact that... In any other way other than having survived to adulthood, this lobster was in no way extraordinary. He was of average lobster intelligence, of average weirdo lobster appearance, with an average-sized monstrous pinching appendage, and average-sized bizarro dangly lobster eyes. He had no explanation for his own survival, and so no expectations of ever finding a mate with whom to pass on his average genes. As such, his loveless life was defined by barely managing to find enough to eat and avoid being eaten. And that was all he had room to think about. Until one day, 
Hungry as usual, he came upon a delicious-smelling, rotting mackerel on the ocean floor. It was of such quantity of mackerel that he was filled with yearning for a feeling of satiation he had never known. He scuttled closer and reached out his claw to rend a mass of fishy flesh from the dead body, already able to taste its decaying deliciousness when there was a fierce vibration around him and he was surrounded by the four walls of a cave. His heart pounded. Nothing like this had ever happened. Forgetting the carcass entirely, he scurried in one direction to escape, but there was a wall of netting. He scurried in another direction, but this way was blocked as well. Up, down, either side, there was nowhere to go. He ripped and tore at the netting with his claw to no avail. There was no way out. A question entered his mind then. The first question he had ever asked. What would happen to him now? He stayed very still for a moment. Nothing happened. If nothing was going to happen, he thought he might as well eat, as the wafting smell of the rotted mackerel was still all around him. But just as he was going to tear the soft flesh of the dead fish in the netted cage with him, the cage was pulled upwards through the water and everything around him seemed to rush down. He held tightly with his claws as the floor beneath him pushed him up and up. Higher than he had been since his days of floating on the surface as a vulnerable, squishy worm. And his recollection of wormhood was fuzzy at best. And then with a terrifying explosion of cold and light, the water around him was gone. This came as a particular shock to our lobster, as existing in a state not surrounded by water had simply never occurred to him before. It would be as though you and I were suddenly pulled into a world without light or time or Shen Yun advertisements. I wonder if even lobsters get flyers for Shen Yun performances. A breathtaking spectacle. 5,000 years of Chinese civilization reborn under the sea. Anyway, back to our lobster. His body overcome with panic, what was left of his mind went into overdrive. Water or death. Instinctual creature that he was, there was not another thought in him, and there wouldn't be, for one full day. Until... Circle-shaped raised surfaces were all around him, with terrifying large creatures gathered around them, making awful noises as they ate. And then... Water again. Warm water, still water, strange smelling water, strange tasting water, strange feeling water, water devoid of almost anything. Except for a few other lobsters. They were eyeing him. One of them scuttled over with his claws held high. What's up, noob? I'm Johnny. I'm the big claws around here, see? You fall in line, we'll get along great. Our lobster was nonplussed. Sorry, I just want to be sure. What does nonplussed mean? It means he was very surprised. It means he was not surprised at all. Actually, cousins, a recent academic study tracked usage of the word nonplussed in major news publications. It found that 44% of the time, the word was used to mean very surprised. And 44% of the time, it was used to mean not surprised at all. And the other 12%? Nobody could say. And what does it mean in this case? Very Not surprised. surprised. Excellent. 
No one had ever bothered to exert dominance over him before. The dominance had, he imagined, been assumed. Do you hear me, noob? What are you, mute? I'm the King Crustacean, the big crowd daddy. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. His own voice sounded strange to him, having so rarely heard it. Another lobster scuttled up behind Johnny, more timidly. A female. What's your name? No one had ever bothered to ask. In fact, he wasn't sure a female lobster had ever addressed him before. Where was he? His eye stalks gazed at her, floating helplessly. I'm Betsy, and this is Johnny. And that over there... She said, pointing to a crush of lobsters reaching up a corner of their transparent space. Is Mimsy, Chef, and Sly. Hey, yo! We just found it was easier if we were all going to be living together like this now to have names. Make us talking easier. Uh, I guess I'm newbie? He finally managed. <laughs> uh, that ain't a name. Sure it is. Newbie. Maybe we can think of a better name. You then. know what, Bets? That's enough talking to newbie. You welcomed him, you introduced him, you talked to him too much, and you're liable to give the guy ideas. Now, like I said, noob. You're the dominant lobster. See? He learns fast. There was a splash then above them as something broke the water's surface. Nobody looked up and saw a massive clump of what smelled faintly of fish floating down. Almost on their own, his legs started scuttling toward where the massive block of vague fish scent was falling. Hey, slow down, noob. There's plenty for everybody. Newbie was startled by this. Since he'd been a worm, food meant a rush, a competition. Either you eat or your brother does, and whoever doesn't will probably end up dead. He was taken aback enough to look around at the other lobsters. Some had lethargically started turning toward the food. One had actually started moving in that direction. Nobody was rushing. No one looked ravenous. Nobody seemed in the least bit concerned that they wouldn't eat. He could scarcely believe it, and couldn't restrain himself anyway, and hurried toward the block of food. He gulped as fast as he could. Large chunks of food torn and thrown into his mouth and swallowed quickly, repeating this action over and over as quickly as he could until he felt sick. Then he ate still more. The other lobsters were just starting to approach the block of food, so he pushed himself to eat more until he began to vomit some of the food back up. And, feeling ill and confused, he staggered to a corner of the glass block where he faced the wall, belching and feeling ill. He had never eaten so much. A pair of shells rested on top of one another in the corner next to him. He was surprised to see them suddenly open, and then, even more surprised, to hear them speak. Howdy, newbie. Ah, uh, who are you? Name's Clam. Clam the Clam. Got dropped in the wrong tank a long time ago. <laughs> Seen a lot since then. See, nobody ever comes looking for a clam in a lobster tank. I don't know what you're talking about. What's a tank? Who comes looking? What are they looking for? I guess sometimes it's better not to know. <laughs> well, just cherish every day you have while you have them, son. But you can go easy on the chow. Take it slow, son. Just focus on what you need right now. 
That's the way. You listen to old Clem. Uh, okay. Here comes the filly. Good luck, son. With what? But Clem had clammed up. Hey there. How you doing? Saw you puke on yourself before. Oh. Yeah. It's hard to adjust, I know. We all kind of lost control at first. This is just a different place, right? You don't have to be so scared. It's a lot at once. Just talking to you, even. Talking to me? I didn't talk to a lot of other lobsters before. Especially not girls. Ah, uh, you never talked to a girl? Not that I can think of. So I guess then you've never- Betsy! What'd I tell you about talking to that guy? He snapped his claw demandingly. Johnny scuttled up to Betsy. Sorry, Johnny. He was having a hard time just- Johnny backclawed Betsy across the face. Sorry you gotta witness that, newbie. You gotta keep him in line. I, um... Do I gotta keep you in line, too? As newbie looked around for a line he should get in, Johnny scuttled a bit closer. No! You in line? Yeah, I'm in line. Sorry? He scuttled closer still. Sorry! In a flash, Johnny's claw closed around Nubi's throat, squeezing and lifting. Nubi's legs kicked uselessly in the water, his claws flailing. You'd be amazed how easily lobster shells crack, if you know where to press. Johnny, put him down! He ain't gonna mess with you. He barely knows where he is or what's going on. He was just shocked, and I was trying to be nice. He didn't mean nothing. Oh, I know. I like him. He feels good in my claw. I ain't gotten to really squeeze nothing in a long time. I'm gonna put him down, just as soon as I know he's got the lesson. Newbie started to wonder if Johnny's threat wasn't idle. Would his shell crack? His stomach was full, and he vomited again. The barf drifted into Johnny's face. Did this loser just puke on me? He ate too much, you'll remember. Put him down, Johnny! Shut up! This ain't about you anymore. This child ahead just puked in my face. I'm gonna make his insights spill out. Johnny squeezed still harder. Louie felt his shell start to strain. It would soon crack. What would happen to him then? His mind flashed back to what it felt like to be a worm, shellless and squiggly, a bite-sized morsel for every ravenous creature that wanted to sink its teeth into you. He kicked his legs and flailed his arms. He heard a cracking sound vibrate through his whole body. It was happening. He flailed still more wildly and then his claw caught on something. It was Johnny's eye storm. And in a spasm he couldn't control, his claw reflexively closed. Johnny's grip loosened and Newbie fell to the ground. Johnny stumbled back, stunned. His eye floated in the water in front of him. You just... You just cut off my eye, you little prawn! Newbie was gasping water, checking his body to see if he was all in one piece. He looked up to see the eye floating between them, and behind it, the raging John. Luckily, eyes grow back, and until then, I still got one to see with. I was just gonna hurt you a little, but now I'm gonna kill ya! And he started to rumble towards Newbie. Newbie scuttled back, holding his claws in front of himself defensively. Newbie, run! He's really gonna kill you! 
Newbie couldn't scuttle back fast enough. Johnny was quick and huge, and Newbie's whole body hurt. He'd already come close to being cracked up, and he knew he couldn't fend off such a huge, strong lobster. He was finished. Johnny's claws were snapping as he screamed in rage. Newbie shut his eyes. And then the sound of Johnny's scream changed. It went from rage to fear. Another pale, larger claw, or some sort of tentacled creature, had wrapped around Johnny's back, and in a moment he was being hoisted up. He reached out wildly to hold himself down and managed to grab hold of one of Newbie's legs, anchoring himself. What's going on? What's got me? Hey, am I getting took up? Oh man! Oh man, it's about time! I knew I'd be next! The tentacle claw continued to pull. Johnny, screaming in a kind of frightened euphoria, seemed to forget he was clutching Newbie and held on. Newbie started to lift off the ground with him. <laughs> I'm going up! I'll see you suckers later! Newbie had nothing to hold on to to resist being hauled up out of the water with Johnny. And then his upward progress stopped, and he was jerked hard in the other direction. Betsy had caught his left claw in hers and had clamped down. The tentacle creature pulled more forcefully then, and Johnny gripped on tighter. And then Newbie's leg ripped out of its socket. And in the briefest of moments, Johnny was lifted up, still carrying Newbie's leg, and screaming in terrified euphoria, broke the surface of the water, and was gone. And all was silence. Newbie settled back to the ground. You okay? Newbie threw up a little. A few of the other lobsters had gathered round. Whoa! So Johnny got to up? He was the biggest and the toughest, you know? Lucky stiff. I'm sure he's in a better place. Everyone should be so lucky. But the bigger problem is now, who's the dominant lobster, huh? What do you think? Who's the big claw now? Fight it out, I guess. That's the way. Mimsy clicked his claws and started to back up into battle position. Sly did likewise, and Shep started to charge Mimsy. Hold on. There ain't no need to bother with that. Everyone getting all stupid and hurt. We already know who's the new Big Claw. Oh, we do? It's Sly, isn't it? I should may have even tried. It ain't Sly, it's me. It's not any of yous. The new guy challenged Johnny for the title before Johnny got took up. You did, new guy? Newbie looked at him blankly. Yeah, you guys all heard how I was talking to him all the time. Johnny was upset and hit me. The new guy challenged him. Oh, but, uh, who won? Betsy pointed at Johnny's eye, still floating there in the water. The lassie's right. I'd be Johnny's eye. I'd recognize it anywhere. Dang, no guy! You cut out Johnny's eye! That's real messed up, man! Tis a wee bit over the line, lad. We were just going to fight about it, but nobody was going to lose an eye over it. Well, I mean, if I were you, and I wanted to keep both my eyes, I'd just call it settled. The new guy won. Johnny would tell you that himself, only he got took up. Sly looked up to the top of the water. Lucky stiff. Good enough for me, I suppose. It wasn't going to be me anyway, I was just fooling myself. Yeah, I fought Johnny when he got here. Got stupid, Peter. You got Johnny's eye? You'd take me no problem. Well, I think maybe I could take him, you know? But life ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can take a hit and keep going forward. It'll be me before long. I ain't worried. 
Nah, you shouldn't be worried, Sly. But you should back off now and not be too close, or... Sly glanced over at Newbie. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, no disrespect. The three lobsters dispersed. Mimsy and Sly to a corner, and Shep went to nibble at the cube of food. Um... Why did you... Grab your claw? No, why did you... Well, I mean... Don't get too mushy. I'm a selfish shellfish. <laughs> I guess I like ya. I didn't really think about it. I'm sorry if you lost your chance to get taken up. They say it's pretty great up there. I knew they'd take Johnny at some point, but it was taken so long. I hope, if they ever take me, that he's not there waiting for me. Why did you tell everyone I beat him in a fight? Ain't that his eye there? Uh, yeah. So it's not a lie. And you're cute. I'm cute? Maybe I'll talk to you later? Um, sure. Newbie scuttled slowly to a corner of the tank, trying to collect his thoughts after everything that had happened. He had never really had thoughts to collect before, so that alone was strange. He was taken out of the water, and then put back in this strange world, and a girl had talked to him. And he had a name and he had eaten more than he'd ever eaten before in his life. And then he'd almost been crushed, won a fight, and the girl had called him cute. It was certainly a lot, and and now he was the dominant lobster? He didn't even know how to be a dominant lobster. He had never even been in a lobster fight before this one. He'd always felt grateful he had grown a shell in the first place and survived being a worm. And now, he, newbie, was a dominant lobster, thanks to Betsy. It was her he was thinking of when he fell asleep. He woke up to the strong smell of urine. He looked around, checked himself to see if maybe he'd peed himself. He hadn't. But the water around him was filled with pee. Through the cloud of urine, he made out the form of a lobster. It was Betsy. And she was peeing. At him. What? Maybe we could all use a potty break. How about time for a commercial? Dang it, these gnomes went bad again. Aw oh, man, what a waste of money. Every time I pick up some fresh gnomes at the market, we get so busy and they end up getting putrid. Buying gnomes that go bad can seem like you're throwing away wheelbarrows full of money. I had some gnomes in the back of my fridge that I forgot. Their rotted flesh had dripped all over everything. Well, say goodbye to the stress and mess of fresh gnomes and say hello to Bubby's Canned Gnomes. Yum! I don't know. I heard processed fairy folk are bad for you. Most store-bought gnomes might look like little bearded men, but they're often reconstituted from hundreds of gnomes that have been passed through a grinder and then molded into something vaguely gnome-shaped. With some frozen gnome nuggets, it's hard to be sure what kind of meat is under that breading. Bubby's Canned Gnomes guarantees each can has six whole little men, tightly hand-packed in your choice of olive oil or brine, so you know exactly what you're eating. I'm embarrassed to admit I'm a bit addicted to the little buggers. You don't want to talk to me before my morning, Gnome. But with Bubbies, I feel confident knowing that if any kind of disaster strikes, 
My cabinet is fully stocked with gnomes, guaranteed to last for years. I mix them in my pasta primavera all year long. Plus, Bobby's canned gnomes cuts prep time in half. It used to be so time-consuming, unbuttoning their little coats and unzipping their little trousers to get at the gnome meat. So fiddly. But Bubby's packs their gnomes pre-stripped and ready to eat. I just like to pluck them out of the can and pop them right in my mouth as snacks. Then I floss with their long, oily beards. My kids can't get enough of them. With Bubby's canned gnomes, you'll put the magic back in family dinner time. Bubby's canned gnomes. From the makers of Elf in a Cup. Now return you to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime production of Golden Slumbers. Where were we? Oh, that's right. I said Betsy was peeing. And I said, what? Gentlemen, really? It's what they do. It's disgusting. It's science. You can look it up for yourself. Or ask the science kids. Don't even joke about that. You know as well as I do that the science kids both died in a horrible explosion while trying to explain science facts about gum. I forgot. R.I.P. Jody and Dodie. At any rate, it's accurate. It's a scientific fact that when a female lobster wants to move in with a male lobster and be his mate, she pees at the entrance of his cave. The urine wafts in and alters the male brain and makes him want her to live with him. Then he invites her in. So after stories of mermaids and vampires and megalomaniacal leafs, you're suddenly a pair of Neil deGrasse Tysons. Science. As I was saying, Betsy's urine wafted over him. He could smell it with his antenna. He could taste it with his legs. Okay. What? Lobsters smell with their antenna. And taste with their legs. Well and good, but there has already been a copious amount of eating of the various rotted fishes in this story, and you never once mentioned that lobsters taste with their legs. Slipped my mind. But now that newbie is tasting Betsy's urine... He is doing it with his legs. Scientifically. As I was saying... The taste of Betsy's urine on his legs, wafting over him in the water, was exquisitely confounding. He felt that he was no longer himself. Or that he was now his true self. The self he had been meant to be all along. Betsy's lover and protector for as long as she wanted him. He wondered briefly if this was just the pea talking. It was. It was the pea talking. Regardless, it was too late. His brain had been altered. Scientifically. He found himself reaching out his claws for Betsy to take her to him. And then something horrifying happened. Much of this has been horrifying. The water vibrated with the sound of Betsy's shell cracking. And not a small crack. There was no mistake. This was the sound of a crack that could never be repaired. Of a shell ending. Then another, and this one was visible. Betsy's attractive outsize altered irrevocably as a split ran down her face. For a moment, she was a terrifying cubist nightmare. And then her face started to slide off. Newby opened his mouth and let out a silent scream. His dear love, the lobster to whom he had in his urine-soaked stupor, promised in his heart his whole life 
was breaking to pieces before him. Another crack ran through her shell, this time straight down her back. Then her claws split and her fine little tail shell was gone forever. The pieces fell away around her, littering the bottom of the tank. And revealing a different and shocking Betsy. She was a quivering blob of squishy jelly. Betsy! Oh, my Betsy! <laughs> it's okay, said the quivering blob of squishy jelly. I'm a jelly now because I want you. You really never have been with a girl before, have ya? I take it this is also science then? When lots of females are ready to move in with a mate, they first shed their shells. This is necessary for mating because it's hard to love if you can't let anyone in. And isn't it like that for everybody? That's why they have to pee their way into the male's house. Well, not like that for everybody. If they are going to shed their shells, they are vulnerable and in need of protection. There was a great deal of urine in the water, so it's impossible to say if Newby peed himself a little in fear. But it seemed likely. Are you gonna protect me and take care of me forever now that I don't have a shell and need you to survive? Forever and always. She softly squished her way closer to him. It'll take two weeks for me to form a new shell, and during that time, I'm just so, so soft. And I'm so squishy. Whatever should we do with me? She softly squished her way closer still. Nubi was terrified by all of it, but his legs could taste nothing but urine, and his claws yearned to close around Betsy's jelly. Instinct took over and led his usually timid brain to feats he would have never been capable of alone, and he reached out his claws and drew Betsy to him. Time passed differently after that. Nights and days passed. Cubes of food descended. Other lobsters ascended. Newbie didn't care. His one concern was protecting and repeatedly mating with his squishy, soft love. Together, in their little corner of the tank, they had never been so happy. At times, Newbie wondered what would happen if he ascended before Betsy could grow a new shell. But this never came to pass. Maybe love protected them. Regardless of the reason, days passed in bliss, and they could not bring themselves to notice that Sly, Mimsy, and Shep were all gone, and had been replaced with other lobsters, each in its turn disoriented, then lazy on food and safety, and finally hoping for ascendance. And all more or less trying to ignore the two lobsters in the back left corner, just rogering themselves stupid both day and night. If they come for you, said Betsy one night, I'm going to grab you and hold you like I did last time. I'm going to. I wouldn't advise that, said Clem the Clam, who had been watching them round the clock. Each in their own time, little missy. Enjoy this place and this love while it lasts. But you try to hold on to something too tightly, uh, you might just break it. Clem, would you mind not just watching us constantly? It feels a little weird. Yep, we all got a time when we get took up. Well, except maybe for me, like I told you, <laughs> wrong tank. Maybe that's my blessing. Maybe that's my curse. 
Okay, thanks, Clem. Anyway, Betsy. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if you lobsters ain't got the right idea. I know what really happens when you go, but maybe a story is better if it's gonna have an ending. Ah, shucks, Clem. Never say shuck to a clam. Will you please leave us alone for a minute? All right, all right, I'll shut up for the night. <laughs> I won't let them take either of us if they don't take both of us. His weeks of being loved and his status as the dominant lobster had given him newfound confidence. He would find a way to stay with Betsy, no matter what. I know they say it's better up there, but we're happy right here. I think you and I could be happy anywhere, as long as we're together. You don't even have a shell. I won't let anything touch you. My shell is starting to grow back. Oh. Hadn't you noticed? Newbie felt a twinge of regret. That'll be safer. You won't have such a huge responsibility to protect me. But I really don't mind. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. And she kissed him. Is that accurate lobster science too? The Wikipedia page didn't say. It's hard for lobsters to do, but she managed. And then she gave his tail a little pinch and smiled slyly. Oh. He enjoyed the pinch and cuddled closer to her. But he also noticed that there was indeed a harder edge to the feel of her claw on his tail than there had been. It made him sad, and his need for her softness felt more urgent. He held her tightly. And he was held tightly in return. By the tentacled creature who had descended silently where they'd been distracted by one another. Look out! yelled the clam. But it was too late. It had him! Nobody, no! Quickly and desperately, Betsy latched onto Newbie's tail. She had no hope to hold them down. The creature's might was far too great for them. Her hope of staying with her love looked to be granted as she rose with him and both lobsters were yanked back into that mysterious, waterless state of being. A strange mix of sensations rushed through Newbie. A little excitement. After all, he was going to the great reward promised to the best lobsters but a great deal of visceral terror at being in the waterless place. Newbie and Betsy, now out of the tank, got a better look at the horrible creatures that had them in their clutches. It had two long tentacles attached to its upper torso and five smaller tentacles at the end of each of them. Above the torso on a short, stout stalk was its strange, round head with two front-facing eyes, disturbingly not set on stalks. There were more of these terrifying monsters, seated in clusters all around them. Most of them with a white square draped across their front with the image of a lobster on it. Why, wondered Newbie, was this the better place? Were they to be worshipped by these creatures? But no, the truth suddenly became clear. Two of the creatures seated at a round platform nearby were approached by another standing creature. On a tray, it carried the steaming corpse of Mimsy. The standing creature placed Mimsy's corpse in front of its seated fellows. Bon appétit. There were other such corpses on platters, on platforms, all around them. The giant creatures rent limbs from bodies. Tore corpses to pieces with their tentacles. They cracked their dissected bodies with shiny devices. They shoved them into their wet, toothy maws. The creatures that had them in their clutches carried them into another room. 
a room of metal and heat. It carried them to a large, hot machine. Atop was another, smaller tank. The tank was full of water, but water so hot it bubbled menacingly. The creature moved them closer and closer to the bubbling water. And Newbie and Betsy realized as one. Well. This was no better place. This was doom. Or so they thought. What? For just at that moment, the roof of the building they were in was suddenly torn off. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Everyone, lobsters and creatures alike, looked up to see a large glowing green blob with three purple eyes standing above the building. Millicent. Shut up. The green blob reached in and started yanking at creatures and throwing them up into a massive silver disc that spun into the sky above them. The creature holding onto Newbie and Betsy dropped them as it screamed in terror. Not you too, Lucinda. Shut up. As creatures all around them were being yanked, screaming into the sky, Newbie found Betsy's claw with his own. Oh, you've staged an alien invasion in the middle of our lobster story. What's happening? I don't know. What'll we do? Follow me. All around them was chaos and horror. All around them was mayhem and death. But something deep within Newbie knew what he needed. He needed the water. He needed to live. And he heard the words of Clem the Clam echoing again in his head. Take it slow, son. son, 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 son. Just focus to what you need right now, 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 now. That's the way, way, way. You listen, old Clem, Clem, Clem. With the madness compounded by madness all around them, he did what he could. He focused on what he needed right now and what he could control. He moved his seven remaining legs, one at a time, and concentrated on that. Betsy following at his side, she understood. The water. The water! Gasping every step, they followed the pool they felt somewhere deep within them. One of the creatures ran and opened a passageway out of the building they were in. They walked out onto a harder surface, Large metal beasts squealed and zoomed past them. On the other side of the hard surface was softer ground, covered by stalks of green. Then wooden planks. And then, beneath them, there it was. The sea. Home. Behind them, chaos reigned, and the tentacled beasts met their fates with wailing cries on their lips and horror in their hearts. But Betsy and Newbie's hearts were full of love. And so, claw in claw, they stepped off the wooden planks and fell... In love and into the sea. They were both so happy that they peed. Well, I know you're both very pleased with yourselves, but I'll have you know that's exactly how we were going to finish the story anyway. No, it wasn't. Don't give them the satisfaction. It was better, wasn't it? Still, thinking about our intended ending did get me a bit peckish. Bentley... Let's go out for seafood. We can't, remember? Oh, intercourse! You have been listening to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic story time production of A Cracking Tale, or Better with Butter. 
Written by Justin Didovic and Brody H. Brocky and edited by Derek Gokenauer. Starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks, Justin Didovic as Jameson Brimblebanks, Leia Bauer as Millicent Brimblebanks, and Colleen Stano as Lucinda Brimblebanks. This story was brought to life by the voice talents of Peter Danig as Newbie, Melissa Harrison as Betsy, Derek Gokenauer as Johnny, Jared Hofford as Clem, Theo Billups as Mimsy, Patrick Johnson as Sly, Scott Longpree as Ship. This episode's commercial, Nomina Cobb, was written by Justin Didovic and star John Lay, Elizabeth Lay, Derek Gokenauer, and Therese Caldwell. And now, a moment of silence for the science kids. Okay, that's long enough. Until next time, this is the VoxBot 5000 reminding you. You don't want to talk to me before my morning, Norm. <laughs>